0: So, Jim, we talked about how Zengers is operating their ERP system so we can offer that online experience for our clients. But when you told me that you actually use your ERP system pro shop in discussions with your clients, I was like, really? A machine shop utilizing their ERP system with perspectives and their clients? Tell me about that.
1: Well, it's kind of unique. But what we're doing now when we're doing a lot of prospecting with new OEMs to do business with, we get them on a video chat. And we share our screen and we let the ProShop ERP system be part of the sales feature. I take them through the entire estimating process. I show them how the throughput of the work comes in as an estimate and all the way out to when we finish and ship the job. Every single operation is itemized within the ERP system. There's times involved for setup, minutes run per part. Checking the part, so you inspecting. think it just, it's just it's just a higher level of professionalism that most machine shops aren't doing. Bingo. And the thing is, too, it's cutting out all the nonsense, and it's just it's making everything black and white. And you know what? At the end of the day, Jason, the numbers don't lie. So if you can show somebody the numbers. They're going to believe you. So go to ProShop ERP. Talk to our good friend, Paul Van Meter there. He'll be happy to hook you up with some kind of demonstration. So I'm not just telling... Tell them Making Chips sent you. ProShop ERP. Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you are connected, like I am right now, to a community of leaders... You can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Jason Zenger in the top right corner and Nick Golner in the lower right corner. Guys, good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm your DJ today. You are? What what kind of music do you got playing in the background? I don't know. My kids listen to this. One of their favorite songs right now
0: is by this guy named Marshmallow, who has like a marshmallow head on his head. And he dresses in all white with a with a fanny pack. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah,
2: I do. I
0: don't I don't get it. He
2: spells it weird, right? Like he's got his weird spelling, kind of like dead mouse. He wears a mouse head.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, he wears a marshmallow head.
2: This is what the young people did to music. This is not I good. know,
1: that's I know. You're really old, man. But hey guys, I don't know about you, but I'm growing a little weary of the COVID-19 news, media and and all that. So I thought this week let's let's do something that is still timely and relevant and something that we were actually going to record the beginning of the year until this pandemic came upon us, but I believe it's relevant and timely and I certainly don't want to diminish the severity and the urgency of COVID 19. But I do want to talk about something other than that today. Yeah, we're going to
0: pivot to something else. I think that that's not a bad idea. There's yeah. other things that, on people's minds besides this, although this is front and center.
1: It is definitely front and center. There, there's no question about it, but this is still a relevant thing. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, you know, as you all know, on January 1st, 2020, Illinois became the 11th state to legalize recreational marijuana. And I know among my group of peers that own manufacturing companies, we've been really questioning the tactics we have to use, the testing, what if somebody gets hurt on the shop floor, how do we go about getting that tested? Are there tests that can test for THC in your in your system quickly? Well, yeah, of course there's, there is. There's a lot of questions, so we brought we're bringing in a guest today. His name is Jim Griffith. He's with the HR Source in Downers Grove, and he'll be with us in just a little bit. As always, you know, our our mission is to equip and inspire the manufacturing community with timely and relevant information. Of course, as you know, Jason, five and a half years ago when we started this show, we said that we would always do interviews one-on-one, but unfortunately, we had to pivot as we had to shelter in place. It's mandated by the state of Illinois. So, Yeah, I
0: mean, we always felt that we would bring a higher quality interview to the manufacturing leader if we are standing face-to-face or sitting face-to-face with our interviewee, or even if you and I were sitting just with each other or Nick was there. We just felt it was a better quality. We could see the expression on everybody's face. We could have a margarita or drink a glass of wine, perhaps. And yeah, I don't partake in the marijuana, but we have been known to have a glass of wine with a making chips episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or a margarita and a glass of wine too.
0: Yeah, Show I was it. actually a little bit hesitant to be on this episode in the first place. I was gonna. Why did it scare you? T- I, I was, no, I was just gonna text you guys and be like, you know, why don't you guys do this without me? I just didn't want my brand associated with marijuana to be. But it's a real frank. thing.
1: But it's a real. I know. Thing. I
0: am here, so yeah. I just. Yeah,
1: it's a legit thing. We got to talk about. it.
0: It's something that manufacturing leaders need to think about as they lead their employees and as they manage HR issues. It's going to come up, and you know, I think it's rather confusing right now because it is. So new and fresh. I've had some conversations with manufacturing leaders recently. Different states have different rules. So, from my perspective, the two big places that we could put it into is medical and recreational, because one of the manufacturing leaders I was listening to was like, oh, medical? And I was like, well, we're going to talk about both because we're in a state where recreation is also relevant. When I go down there, I live in the city of Chicago, lots of young people. And when I go down the street, there was a place near my house where there was just a bunch of young people congregating. They're all like six feet apart, but standing outside and they're waiting on something. And I, and I texted my wife and I was like, at the corner of Racine and Roscoe, why is there so many people always milling about that coffee house? And it wasn't obvious, but we're thinking to ourselves, it's probably somewhere for them to- dispensary. To, to get the- dispensary. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what you call it. yeah.
1: Huh. Well, anyway, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're going to bring Jim on as our guest soon. But before we do that... If we bring on
0: Jim, can we get rid of the other Jim? Like, can we get rid of James you and bring Jim, on the other I Jim? Mean,
1: I mean, believe me, I've got plenty of other crap to do <laughs> over there at my desk. I can uh, One Jim is all you I can, can handle. You can excuse me, and I'll be happy to get to my other things. So, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can handle more than one Jim. <laughs> Well, you got the good one talking right now. I don't know. We, haven't, we don't really know the other gym quite that well yet. But anyway, you know how we normally talk about a positive kickoff? So I thought that I would switch it up a little bit today since this is my show structure. And I thought I'd ask you guys, since we've been sheltering in place, what is the one thing that you're missing out externally, outside? You're looking forward to coming back again. Do you want me to go first? It sounds
2: like you just volunteered.
1: Go ahead. I did. <laughs> I did. So I, I really miss going out to dinner. You know, Jason. I know you like to go out to dinner. Nick, I know your family owns the restaurant out in Rockford. But I really miss the experience of going out, getting a great bottle of wine, getting a great steak, having some stellar service, chilling out with my wife, talking about the week that just passed. That is like to me. That is the culmination of the end of a good, successful, hardworking week, and and that's what I miss. And that's what I'm probably going to do as soon as they lift this mandate off of us. How about you guys? Yeah,
0: Jim, I I think that
1: probably most people
0: would say the same thing as you. And definitely going out to dinner with my wife or my family is at the top of my list. But the number one thing that I miss is going to the park with my kids. And I know that my kids miss that a lot too. And it's just, it's tough. Like my my two-year-old Deacon, who doesn't quite understand how to articulate his wants when we go for a walk around the, around the block and he sees the street that the park is on that he loves to go to. He's upset. Like he wants to go there. He doesn't understand why he can't go. And that's, that's kind of heartbreaking for me. and, And I wish that I could solve that problem for him and let them play and run around on the park equipment and stuff like that. So that's definitely the one thing that I miss right now because they're all locked up right now.
2: So you guys want to hear the two things that I'm missing the most? You can only pick one. No, just one, Nick. Well, I, I'm going to do two and I'm going to do them quick. Number one, the gym, because me and Jim Carr, were talking about co- the COVID-15 and I got it right here on the hips. <laughs> yeah, just, We've been like making cookies and everything and staying at home. And now I got, I got to work. Yeah. out. So we just bought a bike, my, and, and like one of those chariot things that you pull the kids behind and I'm hoping yeah, yeah. I some of that COVID-15 and the other one isn't really an out there thing, but I miss sports. I really just want to watch the sports. They're watch they're like recording like professional basketball players playing each other in video games and televising it on ESPN. And I'm like, can I just get some real sports, please? Oh, is that right? I didn't even yeah, know that. I didn't even horrible. hear that.
0: Yeah, I would say, Nick, now that you mentioned the gym, my gym is right down the street from me. And I do the gym would be my number two and the restaurants would be my number three. And I've been working out with my wife with her online videos at her gym because she put up like an exclusive Instagram thing. And I'll tell you what, my wife's classes have been kicking my butt. And I've always felt like I was a pretty strong guy and could push a lot of weight. But I mean, those workout classes are kicking my butt that my wife does all the time.
1: Well, now that you guys picked three or four things that you're missing and i only got one i'm gonna stop because i'm (laughs) gonna respect my own wishes and only pick one but there's a lot of there's a lot of other things but nick you want to share with uh, the metalworking nation what's going on at the boring bar and and tell the bad news too in case they didn't hear
2: everyone's got a lot of bad news so i'll start with that the boring bar is our newsletter and it's our physical bar and we were really excited to do this grand opening of our new headquarters and invite a bunch of manufacturing leaders for what it was just going to be a party just a a way for everybody to get together but not a lot of parties happening right now so it's going to be postponed it it was scheduled for may 14th but we will let everyone know when the new date is the good news is that you can still get all of the boring bar content by subscribing at makingchips.com or texting the number.
1: Go ahead, Jim. What's the number? So text the word "chips" chips to three eight four seven zero, and it'll send you an automated link, and you can automatically subscribe that way. So again, text the words "chips" chips to three eight four seven zero. Get you right into the boring bar. Jim, do you have to capitalize chips or, or you lower do case? not? I don't think I, I don't. It's not case sensitive. I was it's just like oh, you. I know you're always trying to test me.
0: And just to be clear, we're planning on moving our big party to early October. That is the intention right now. We'll see what happens.
2: In the meantime, check out our newsletter. We have a great article written by Christine Schmitz. Uh, Her husband, Tony Schmitz, was one of our favorite guests and a manufacturing PhD. There's always links to the Metalworking News and of course, to the podcast as well. So
0: Yeah, it's exclusive content that you can only get from the Boring Bar. We don't post it online.
1: Anyway, I've got some quick manufacturing news that I want to get to before we introduce Jim to the show. And did you hear last night that Trump sent out a tweet? I know we don't like to talk too much about politics, but he sent out a tweet last night at 9.06 p.m. saying, in light of the attack from the invisible enemy as well as the need to protect the jobs of our great American citizens, I will be signing an executive order to temporarily suspend immigration into the United States. Did you hear about that last night, guys? No, I, I just assumed that that was already suspended. I mean, well, that's what they're saying. Okay. And I got this article from The Hill, which is a completely center. I checked it out. It's a bipartisan media company. Yeah, I don't, completely I don't, center. Yeah, well, <laughs> well what I, I did my best. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure you did. They're saying it's an extraordinary move that prompted immediate questions about its timing and its scope. So what do you guys think about that? I just wanted to hear your opinion on closing the borders for, to any new immigration.
2: I don't know because I don't have a lot of the details and I, I don't understand you know, how big of an impact that would have on what we're calling like flattening the curve or unflattening the curve if we were to let them in. So I don't know and that's kind of what's frustrating about all of this is the news is all over the place with the reporting so I'm just kind of like left with I don't know I can just control what I what I can control
0: the whole immigration thing is such a contentious topic and it's one of those topics where there's no like silver bullet there's no right real right answer everybody's got an opinion and I've thought about this a lot like I don't have a thought from like a political, like, say, legal standpoint, like what laws we should create. It's just, for me, it comes down to, we need to have a nation, A. Well, that's not, maybe that's not A, but like, we need to have a nation, and we need to love our neighbors. And that includes people that are our neighbors right next door, and it includes people that we share a border with as a nation, and also includes countries that we don't share a border with. But I mean, besides that, like, that whole debate is just way over my pay grade.
2: You know, my family's a bunch of immigrants, and so we're lucky we were able to get in and kind of live the American dream. But on the other side of it, we did it legally, and and I think that's what that's what everybody wants is, is immigration, but legal immigration. So
1: yeah, it went on to say Trump's tweet did not provide details on when the suspension would go into effect or how long it would last, but a representative Don Bayer, a Democrat from Virginia, tweeted last night, quote. Immigration has nearly stopped, and the U.S. has far more cases of COVID-19 than any other country. This is just xenophobic scapegoating. I kind of like that saying, so I thought I'd put it in there, but... uh, (laughs) Well,
0: I mean, anything that Trump says in regards to either COVID-19 or immigration is going to be used as a talking point by the Democratic Party. I mean, so it's almost like eye roll when when you hear a statement from the Democrats as far as that goes. I, I, I'll listen when they start working together. But until they start working together to solve the problem,
1: I don't want to hear the dumb talking points. You're going to be all gray before the time that happens. Yeah, you're probably right.
2: Yeah, we have far more cases, of course, but our testing, I mean, we're doing a lot of testing. So the more you test, the more cases you find, right? So I don't know what the testing is like in these other countries. We really don't know. Yeah. Well, can
0: we bring our guest on? I think that you two have been yammering on for long enough, and I think I need to put a halt to this, and I'd like to introduce our guest. Go right ahead, Jason. Okay, our guest today is an employment attorney for HR Source, a Chicago-based employers association that provides human resource solutions for members. Jim, we've already introduced his name. Jim works with members who provide thoughtful advice regarding their employment law and human resource matters, including complaints of harassment or discrimination, medical leaves of absence and accommodation requests, employee discipline and discharge, and wage and hour law compliance concern. Jim helps members develop separation and other employment agreements, employee handbooks, and training programs. He also represents employers before the EEOC, Illinois Department of Labor, and other state and federal agencies. Jim graduated with a JD degree from Chicago Kent College of Law and and has a BS from the University of Illinois in Urbana, Champaign. Welcome to the show, Jim Griffin. Hey, Jim. Hey, welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you for you to shed some light on how manufacturing leaders need to think about marijuana and their employees and the workplace and how to best serve their company and also serve their employees.
1: Yeah. So like I said earlier at the beginning of the show, when we first opened it up, this has been something on not only my mind, but my peers mind for marijuana. Well, how to, how to navigate through the laws of legalized cannabis on the shop floor, if you will, because, you know, it's a whole different world out there. And then, you know, we just, we were ready to go down this path and then boom, what do you know, a global pandemic happened. And we've been talking about that for the last four weeks. So I really want to open up this conversation again and, and get some really solid legal answers on how to deal with it. So Jason, I know you love fun facts. So before we get into Jim's interview. I thought maybe you could just read off some of the fun facts that I've curated for you. Then we'll have Jim Griffith validate those and then we'll get into the questioning.
0: Okay. Some facts. I don't know if I want to call them fun. First fact, <laughs> I don't smoke marijuana. So this is all very foreign to me. Consumers age 21 and older can buy marijuana products from a licensed seller in Illinois. So we're talking specifically here about Illinois with or without a medical marijuana card. I didn't know that. We're, we're quipping and inspiring you. Somebody prepared these, these facts for me. Who can sell marijuana legally? Medical marijuana dispensaries are the only legal sellers of marijuana for recreational use in January 2020. Beginning in mid-2020, Illinois will grant additional licenses to dozens of new stores, processors, cultivators, and transporters. Ironically, somebody, I believe he had political connections here in Illinois. This was years ago when it was like in its infancy, if I wanted to invest in a marijuana dispensary. And I was like, um, no, no, thank you. I'll stick to selling tools. How much can I possess? Illinoisans. I didn't know that was a word. So another fun fact. Illinoisans. Illinois, Illinoisans. Sorry. <laughs> I'm being a dumb Illinoisan. Illinoisans can legally possess 30 grams or about an ounce of cannabis flower. The legal limit for cannabis concentrate is five grams and limit for cannabis infused products is 500 milligrams of THC. Illinois visitors are allowed to possess half of those amounts. Where can I smoke legally? Well, sometimes my neighbors do, which I'm not very happy about in their backyard. But it is legal to smoke in one's own home and on site in some cannabis-related businesses. Okay, so my neighbors need to be taking that back inside when they're when they're doing it outside, don't they? Okay. To,
1: we'll we'll have Jim validate, but apparently, according to the law, that's what yeah. Uh, I'll have to, I'll have, to have a,
0: a nice conversation. What if with it's them their property? That that that.
2: Maybe Jim Griffin can answer. Well, that their the
0: backyard. Problem. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Does
2: that count as a home?
0: It's supposed to be in private residences. Okay, good. That's good. helpful to know inside. Okay, and the last fact, use is prohibited in any public place such as streets or parks in any motor vehicle on school grounds with the exception of medical users. Wow, if you're a medical user, you could smoke on school grounds. That does not sound like that should be the law. Near someone under the age of 21, near an on-duty school bus driver, police officer, firefighter, or corrections officer, and apparently according to Mr. Jim Griffin, In your backyard. Any person, business, or landlord can prohibit use on private property. Illinois colleges and universities are are also allowed to ban marijuana use. That's interesting, too. I might have to talk to the landlord next door and tell them to start
1: prohibiting it. Just for the care of my kids. So, Jim, validate those five facts that Jason read off. Any discrepancies there? No. I mean, there are a couple
3: differences for medical cannabis. You can possess two and a half ounces you can get two and a half ounces every two weeks and the 21 years or older is for they call it adult use or recreational you don't have to be 21 to obtain a medical card but other than that
0: that all sounded right and so we we also have the contentious debate of well you can be in the military at 18 but you can't smoke weed at 18 which they've been saying about alcohol for a long time too
1: yeah yeah and what about jason's question about his neighbors in the backyard?
3: So I'm not positive about backyards because I know I've seen like front porches you can't smoke on, but maybe that's because it's more public facing. I would think it's probably okay in the backyard, but
0: I don't know for sure. Well, I mean, here in Chicago, we have 25 foot lots. And so we're right on top. I mean, there's literally this much space, like a foot between the houses here in Chicago. So we're close together. So it's definitely, you know, an issue. Sure. Uh, But how much different is it from like, Blowing it out a window than standing a foot outside your house. I don't know. True. Yeah. All right, Nick, did you have another question for Mr. Jim? Let's kick off this interview after our fun facts.
2: I guess this is a very timely interview because you guys know what yesterday was, right? Oh, geez. Yes, it was 420. Yesterday is like the oh, no, I didn't holiday for marijuana use. And you know how, now let's see if you guys know this. How did they come up with the 420
1: being a, a weed thing? I think I know. I have no idea. Is it an is it an old Boston song called Smoking? No. <laughs> oh, no. seriously, and it was four it was four minutes and twenty seconds long, right? It's the it's like the police code.
2: So, you know, like we got mm. four twenty over here on Jason's neighbor's yard. So that's so now on April twentieth, it's like the, the holiday or whatever. At least that's what I heard. So with cannabis laws being mandated state by state, and they're still illegal under federal laws. How does how do the feds get involved or why aren't they getting involved at the state level? Because sometimes the feds are like involved throughout the nation and other times they kind of look the other way and let the states decide. What do you have to say about that, Jim? Yeah, well, so that is kind of the most unclear issue we have right now because it is
3: a schedule one illegal drug under federal law, same as heroin, cocaine, so some pretty hardcore drugs. But now a bunch of states are making it legal for medical use or for recreational use. So there's a direct conflict. Theoretically, the federal government could come in and stop this. But the Department of Justice under President Obama issued some guidance saying they were absolutely not going to do that. They were going to let states do their thing. President Trump, when he was campaigning, he said that he was going to let states control the issue. And so far, the Department of Justice hasn't been pursuing any sort of claim against these states that are allowing it. So right now they're kind of letting the states do their own thing, but there is a direct conflict between state and federal law. And that's what's coming up in a lot of these cases where employers are saying, well, we want to comply with federal law. And different states have come out in different ways as to which law they're saying you have to comply with. So it's very
2: so does the federal government have kind of like, this is actually a funny term, a trump card that they can use if they want to, and they just choose not to use it? Because it is against federal law, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, theoretically, they could. And the
3: Supreme Court has said that, but they're not as of right now.
1: Okay. You would think that they'd want to be they'd be interested because this is a cash cow. I mean, I heard that, like, Illinois made like 20 million dollars on this in the first four weeks that it went legal. So I, I just don't understand why. the Is it just too much red tape for the federal government, do you think, to get involved in this or what?
3: Do you mean to legalize it at a federal level?
1: Yeah, because you would think that, they, I mean, they're, they're missing out on all of this opportunity to expunge money, tons, millions of dollars.
0: The federal government usually comes in later after the states have, you know, set some precedents and stuff like that. And that's why we're the United States of America. So we are united, but we also have states' rights. And I think that that's something that's really important. It differentiates us as a, um, as a country. And so they're probably just kind of waiting it out to see if and when they need to intervene. That's what I would assume. Yeah, I'm not sure when we're going to see it at
3: a federal level. I, I mean, public opinion is in support of legalizing, I think, from most of the, the polls that I've seen. But for whatever reason, at a federal level, the legislature has not really pursued it very much yet. Well, why don't we
0: get into the um, the employer side of things?
3: Go yeah, ahead, Jim. so
1: Jim, if if someone in my shop gets hurt before January 20th, January 1st, 2020, I would immediately send them down the street to a, a center to have that the cut repaired or sutured or whatever, and they would take a, a test, right, a blood test to see if they were under the influence. What happens now? What is protocol for a manufacturing company if one of my employees is out in the shop and gets hurt what, what would you advise me to do? And what does the law say that I have to do?
3: Well, so the Illinois Cannabis Law doesn't really address post-accident testing at all. They don't specifically address that. But they do get into testing for impairment. And they say employers can do it when they have a good faith basis, a good faith belief that somebody is impaired. And they want you to look at specific, articulable symptoms of impairment. But the law actually lists some symptoms. And a lot of them are related to accidents. So if they interrupt the process, if they disregard the safety for themselves or others, if they cause an accident causing significant damage or harm to somebody else. So there are some specific provisions that would seem to give you a good faith belief that somebody's impaired.
0: So would that be just similar to alcohol if somebody were were drinking on the job or had been drinking right prior to coming into work?
3: Yeah, I mean, they they identify some specific symptoms. And so they they do talk about other cognitive or behavior-based ideas, but they specifically list disruption of a production or manufacturing process, carelessness that results in any injury to the employee or others, carelessness in operating equipment or machinery, disregard for the safety of themselves or others. So they do give you some leeway to test when there's an accident.
2: If there's an accident and someone interrupted a process or was careless, that can happen whether they're high or not. But if if they did that, you could use that as a symptom of, well, I want to see if they are under the influence of marijuana. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would in general, though,
3: have a system in place for this type of situation so you can document what gave you the good faith belief that they were impaired. And it could be all these things causing the accident that caused harm to somebody else. And then one other piece of the law does require, if you determine that somebody was impaired based on these factors, and then you get a positive test, you have to give them a, an opportunity to contest your basis. A reasonable opportunity to say, no, I wasn't high, it was, it was this, it was poppy seed muffins or whatever. Okay. <laughs> but you don't really have
2: to.
1: But no, that's a legit thing.
3: Right, right. You really don't have to give them a, like a whole trial, just a reasonable opportunity to contest it.
2: So you're not doing like what the cops are doing where you get like walk the straight line, you know, follow my finger, that, anything like that.
3: Probably not because, I mean, you do want to train your managers to look for symptoms, but cannabis is difficult because the symptoms aren't necessarily as clear cut as alcohol. They're maybe not stumbling or slurring. You might not smell it if it's an edible. And then the other big problem is the testing. Right, exactly. You can't really test impairment. You can test if it's in somebody's system, but cannabis is is processed way differently than alcohol, where all the tests right now show is whether somebody used or consumed cannabis. And depending on the test, it could be like 30 days. If you do a hair test, it could be months. So we can't clearly tell from a test alone that somebody was impaired. That's why you want to also document the other reasons you believe they were impaired.
0: So for somebody like Jim Carr, who's running a precision machine shop, he's making aerospace parts. Can he say, "I want to run a marijuana-free shop, and I expect all of my employees to not participate in that, even though it's legal"? Does he have the right to do that, and do his employees have the right to fight that? Great question. Good question. That is a
3: good question, and I can't give a one hundred percent clear answer. He can absolutely say that you cannot be impaired at work you cannot use cannabis at work you cannot
0: possess it at work but it's a little bit harder to study he, he can't say we're a drug free as a team we're we're drug free and we're going to do testing and if anybody tests positive they just can't be an employee here you can you could be an employee somewhere else but not at this shop
3: yeah and so that's that's kind of the big question that will probably be tested when the law was initially passed in june actually it seemed as though you could no longer do pre-employment testing or random testing unless you were required to by some federal or state law or regulations so like DOT drivers. Those requirements are still in place. You can still comply with those requirements. But when the law was passed in June, it seemed like you could not do pre-employment testing or random testing, like what you're saying, just you can't ever use it even in your free time. They amended the law in December and they added some employer protections where they said employers could potentially withdraw an offer to somebody who tested positive pre-employment and they could do reasonable random testing in conjunction with a reasonable drug and alcohol policy. So it seems like you're probably okay to do something like that, but I guarantee there's going to be some lawsuits over this. Somebody's going to say, well, that policy is not reasonable because it's prohibiting me from using a product that is lawful in my own free time. Right,
0: but I mean, I don't want... If I were to have, say, heart surgery, I want a drug-free heart surgeon. And if I were somebody that was deciding who is going to machine this landing gear for an airplane, I want that machined by somebody who does not have any reason to be impaired when they're machining those parts, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, and I agree. But how are you going to define that? So would you care if somebody consumed cannabis three weeks ago? Because that's what a test would like to show. If you do a urine test, it would show up positive.
0: Yeah, it's it, and the gray area is just too hard to, that's why either it's either yes or no, like that gray area is too hard to, to manage. Right.
3: And so some employers are taking a hard line. They're saying, we're going to take that risk. And we're just going to say, if you test positive pre-employment, we're going to do random testing test positive we're letting you go because we can't take on any sort of risk like that those employers might be subject
0: to a lawsuit down the line I don't know how it's gonna play out in Illinois though so so the testing and the employer rights and the employee rights are still unclear at this moment
3: It does say you can do it. The law says you can do it. But it says in conjunction with a reasonable drug and alcohol testing policy, I used to represent employees. So if I was representing an employee, I would say it's not reasonable if it's saying it's going to punish me for consuming cannabis three weeks ago on the weekend. I'm not impaired at work at all. I don't think that's a reasonable policy. That's the case that I think we're going to see. And we've seen that in other states.
1: So my que- my next question you can bring it up as another one subsequent one but with Illinois being the 11th state to legalize recreational use we're not the grassroots model so what what have other states learned over legalization in the last few years there has to you know California Washington state they've been legalized marijuana use for years now what what have we learned from those western states already about legalization in the employment context you mean in the employment context yes so
3: every law is different and so it does depend on the specific state law but different courts in each state have come out differently at first most of the cases were actually coming out in favor of employers so like colorado california oregon washington they were all finding well yeah it is illegal under federal law you can comply with federal law More recent cases, and for whatever reason, these are all on the East Coast, like Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Massachusetts have all said, you have to give credence to the state law. So if the state law is allowing employees to, it depends, some of these are medical laws, some of them are recreational, you have to comply with state law as well. So it's really confusing. We don't know what's going to happen in Illinois yet. That's why from a risk perspective, right now I'd focus on impairment until some other employer gets sued over a... Pre-employment test or a random test. Make sure your employees aren't impaired while working. They're not possessing it while working. They're not using it while working. I'd hold off probably on pre-employment testing until there is a case that decides one way or the other what the Illinois courts are going to say on the issue.
2: That's actually a perfect way into into the testing. So if it's about impairment, like with alcohol, you can do a test and you have your you know you blow your point whatever, and you know that that person's impaired. There's a test that says at this time they're impaired. And right. thinking about all the testing with coronavirus, like their possibilities with testing have now they got the five minute test where they kind of shoot the gun thing at your head and it tells you what the test it. Is there is there any development in marijuana testing that will allow us to know if the the employee is impaired, or do all we have is the urine test or the hair test that could tell us maybe four weeks ago they smoked weed or whatever?
3: So there are a variety of tests out there right now. The most common is urine, but it's also one of the least specific. So it'd probably go back. It'd tell you if there's been cannabis use in the last 30 days, maybe. A blood test is more accurate, but most employers aren't doing blood tests. I have seen some reports about a saliva test that hopefully, theoretically could show use within four to eight hours. So that would be close to impairment.
2: Wow. Yeah.
3: But I don't, that's not really widely
0: available yet, but I think that that will come out eventually. Because that could change so would a manager who notices certain types of impairments or behaviors that are suspect, would he say to that employee, I've seen X, Y, Z, i have seen XYZ, I need you to go talk with HR and review this with them or talk with the owner of the company. And then at that point, that, that person would ask them to take a urine or saliva or blood test. Is that the kind of the process that they would go through? Yeah. So you definitely want to get a process in
3: place where you have, ideally, it's two members of the management team observing these behaviors, okay, documenting them, and then you have that conversation with
0: the individual. So Nick and I would go to Jim and be like, Jim, we've noticed these things happening. <laughs> I'm talking to Jim Critton.
1: Yeah, yeah we
0: <laughs> We've noticed that you don't know how to spell and you're fumbling all over trying to not it.
3: All the time.
1: <laughs> all the time. Late to meetings. You have to know
3: your employees because it has to be an unusual behavior
0: because some of the
1: right. Yeah, see, it's,
0: it's normal for Jim not to... I'd pronounce words correctly or spell words correctly. <laughs> so I guess that wouldn't work.
1: Yes. Yeah, xenophobic was
3: that word. Yeah, there you go. And so that conversation is important though, because if you actually confront an employee, a lot of times, especially if you're going to present them with the behaviors that you noticed or the active or the actions that you noticed that are unusual out of place. A lot of times they will actually admit to being under the influence because they know you're sending them for a test. If you get them to admit it, then that avoids that issue of, well, we can't really test impairment for cannabis. So gotcha.
0: I think a lot of this comes down to, and, and, you know, we always say this on making chips, it comes down to like, what are your core values? And I know for us at Zenger, it's, it, it's all about doing the right thing. And I think that would be, if, if I had noticed that somebody was impaired, that's the conversation that I would have with them first and just let them know like what you're doing and how you're acting either before or during work doesn't align with our core values and I need you to rectify this. And I probably wouldn't speak to them specifically about marijuana or anything like that, but I think that if I sat down with somebody, I think that they would completely understand what I'm talking about. And that would probably be my first step that I would take. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah,
3: I think that makes sense. I might ask about being under the influence if if you really do suspect that and you have some evidence of that. And you could just asking the question, have you used any, you know, have you consumed alcohol or any other drug that might be impairing your
0: performance? Right. And it also comes down to during the hiring process, you know, you want to hire people that are aligned with your core values. And let's just say, for instance, you have a team that's maybe young, and they all do that in their pastime. Okay, well, if if you want to accept that as an employer, that's your prerogative. But like, my team if they knew somebody on, else on the team was getting high all the time and they were slow at work my team wouldn't tolerate it they would be like you got to get rid of so and so because outside of the marijuana usage they they just they can't be a part of the team because they're they're slowing us down and and i think that that would come up with the people on the team based on who we've hired and the mission of our company so transitioning into you know some of those processes and, and rules should we have documentation say in our like our handbook or something like that about marijuana what it needs to be under the influence what we do from a testing standpoint the process we go through should we be real specific about that or does that pigeonhole us too much when it comes down to a specific instance
3: i would at the very least include a drug a drug and alcohol policy where you're identifying what behavior is prohibited at work and yet, and I, ideally, you might want to get into the kind of testing that you conduct. Maybe it's just reasonable suspicion, which would include post-accident, or maybe you're going to identify the specific types of testing you conduct. A lot of times, our sample policy does include some information about the testing process just so they understand how it works. And you do want to set that up. You want to know where they're going to go, who's going to test them. But some of those specifics could be helpful. And then what happens if they test positive? Or what happens if they're found to be impaired or under the influence? the consequences I would identify that in a policy because a lot of these provisions in the law say in accordance with a reasonable drug and alcohol policy
0: okay what what about offering to help them rehabilitate stop rehabilitate yeah to stop if they want to stop so like the majority of like my my team don't smoke cigarettes But And I've offered everybody, you know, hey, if you want, like there are some that do, I've offered to them, if you want to stop smoking, I'm more than happy to pay for all of it for you. And I've been told, you know, hey, this is the one thing that I, this is my one vice that I want to continue doing. So no, thank you. And I've said, okay, that's, that's fine. That's your, that's your prerogative and that's okay. And you know, other people have taken us up on the offer. Is that okay to do as far as marijuana goes?
3: Yeah. And that's actually another provision that could be in your policy too, saying, If you come forward with an addiction or that you're using a product before you're subject to any other violation of our policy, so a violation of our tenant's policy, or before you crash a forklift into a wall, you come forward and say, I have a problem and I want to seek treatment, we'll accommodate you. That's, That's a good provision to have.
2: Yeah, I like that one.
3: I wouldn't always allow that after they violate your policy. They test positive. Why is that? Well, I mean, it's up to you, but they've already once... Put other people in danger. It might depend on the situation, Uh, particularly if you're operating dangerous equipment and they come to work high or drunk. You might not want to give them a second chance. That's going to be your call. But maybe you do once they've gone through whatever treatment they need.
1: So, Jim, we're about to wrap up this this show. Can you leave us, the metalworking nation, the the hundreds thousands of businesses that are listening in today, and some in Illinois, some not in Illinois, three things that we should know as business owners about cannabis and our employees, three basic common sense things that we should stay top of mind of when we think about employees and cannabis
0: or three things that, you know, a manufacturing leader should take action on tomorrow, today. Sure. Yes. Well, and the
3: first one that might seem obvious is just determining what you as an organization, what your opinion is on cannabis and how you're going to address it. How does it fit into Like you mentioned, Jason, your values and, your culture. Are we just going to focus on impairment or do we want to take a stand and say we don't want anybody using it? So I would get an idea of what kind of testing we're looking to do. And then the next really important step is to document that process. What's your policy going to be and how you're going to enforce it moving forward? And then the third step would probably be training your managers and leaders what they should be looking for with regards to impairment so that they can be ready to get somebody or get somebody out of a dangerous work environment if they seem impaired,
0: because that's really important to do. Great. Well, Jim, we appreciate you coming on the show. This has definitely been enlightening for not only us, but for all the manufacturing leaders out there who just, they've had this issue swirling around in their head and they haven't known how to take action. I think you've given us some valuable advice on what to do. So thank you for that. Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks,
1: Thanks, Jim. appreciate it. Good information today guys, huh? Oh yeah. 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 I'm 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 really glad that we pivoted off the COVID-19 thing for a while. Who knows what we're going to do next week, but I think this is an important thing that we're already into we're almost into May now and we really haven't had a discussion about this and I actually one of my employees mentioned it to us about, you know, what are the laws surrounding this and and I, I didn't know what the answer should be. So that's one of the reasons why I pursued getting some legal information on it. So good stuff. Hey, if you want to reach out to Jim Griffith, he's with HR Source in Downers Grove. You can connect with him on LinkedIn. It's James Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. I'm sure he'd be happy to, to help you out. Or if you want to talk to us at Making Chips, I'm Jim at Making Chips, Jason at Making Chips, Nick at Making Chips, or Info. That'll get all of us. That'll get all of you. So, guys, it's so funny. I think about these when I was pre- prepping this show structure today. I was thinking, man, when I think about my dad and how he would have handled all of these these legal guidelines that you have to follow nowadays just in running your small business. I don't think he would. What have – What did he say? Just get out of here. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he's he said that. You're just not get not out getting, of you're here. Not making any money. Wait, Go. I got. I got to. Fun, fun story. So we had a new machine in last, we moved in last week and I was sitting with my guys in our production meeting and they're talking about moving machines in our shop with our forklift, our little forklift. And I said, be careful when you start moving machines in the shop. I said, 25, 35 years ago, my dad had one of the machinists move a, a cylindrical grinder from one part of the shop to the other. And the guy got in the lift truck lifted up the cylindrical grinder and all of a sudden boom the whole thing oh. went over my dad fired him in like 20 seconds that was it you're done oh go punch out and go home so yeah so I think about you know the legal ways to handle employees nowadays like we're just talking about now and he certainly would struggle being a small business owner today but you know what I do remember about my dad what he used to say if you're not making chips you're not making money and-
2: and many of them are at makingchips.com.